Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and a man who needs no rotation, it's Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. I'm, I'm tired, Windy. <laughs> yeah, I know you are, but you, that's because you did two podcasts in a week. Yeah. Well, uh, three? This is, this is the third now, yeah. Yeah. No team A and team B here. <laughs> <laughs> it's just always the A team. How are you, Nathan? Well, yeah, tired. I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm tired of Tottenham, but uh, let's talk about them for nearly an hour. How are you, buddy? Not too bad, Wendy. I'm okay, mate. Ready to um, talk about West Ham and Vitesse. I'm looking to try and find some positives, and I'm, I'm going to Vitesse. do my best over the, yeah, over, the, over the course of the next hour. I'm going to bring some positives. Where are you going to find them? Um, with a couple of shout outs of, of some nice people that I met on Saturday. That's, so I'm going to start on a positive and just hope nice, the rest nice. of them pop out. Nice, nice, nice. Okay. Well, here's another positive to start off with. We have three signed copies of a book to give away. The book by our friend and yours, Greg Jenner, a public historian, Spurs fan, very lovely man. He has a new book out called Ask a, Ask a Historian, 50 Surprising Answers to Things You Always Wanted to Know. So these are things like, why is Italy called Italy? Buddy, did you know Did you know why Italy is called Italy? Of course, it's something to do with the, the land, of, land of fire or the oh. land of sunsets. I think the fire, perhaps because of the volcanoes, it's an old school word. Yeah, that's, I, I, that's what I'm going to go with. What's, I was... what's island in Italian? Isla. Mm. Mm. So I think it's to do with <laughs> land of fire and land of sunsets, probably. If I had to, if I had to guess in who wants to be a millionaire, I'd go with anything where it's sun or fire related. Nice. Well, you can phone a friend. You can you can phone Greg and ask him because he's answered it in his book. Um, when was the first Monday? How fast was the medieval Chinese postal system? What did the Flintstones get right about the Stone Age? Um, if if these sounds like things you want to know the answers to, and I'm sure there are lots of other interesting little uh, tidbits in Greg's book, um, then then here's our competition. So what we're going to do 
Uh, we're going to get you to leave us a review on iTunes, or if you've already done that, which I know many of you have, and we appreciate that, you can you can tweet about us to your followers, saying why you enjoy the podcast. Uh, tag us in that, and we'll pick our three favourites from those uh, those those mentions and those reviews, and you'll win a copy of Greg's signed book. There's been some banging reviews recently. I, I really enjoyed the one where <laughs> they went after you two, and but they said Bardi's all right. I like that one. They're, they're my favourites where, where <laughs> I survived the the massacre. Yeah, yeah, they're always your favourites for some reason, Bardi. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Can't think why. Um, on <laughs> Patreon this week. Firstly, to say on Patreon this week, there is a discount for annual memberships. Uh, there's always a discount. Uh, there's always an 8% discount. We've doubled that. 16% off annual Ooh. Patreon memberships. Yeah, only for a few days though. So so you've got to be quick. Probably switch off on Friday. So yeah, no messing about there. Um, but on Patreon this week, we have had we've had an interview that Nathan did with uh, Nico. Nathan? Uh, <laughs> we talked about politics three times last week, <laughs> so so no politics, even though that's impossible. Uh, this week, intro promise. Um, this was talking to Nico, who is an ex Man City fan, um, and kind of an ex football fan by extension, who um who who made the decision to sort of remove his allegiances and and uh and why uh this was on the back of obviously the conversation we had about uh a bit about newcastle but also about like the the sort of um the threat of of a potential takeover of spurs in the in the future mm. nico is um um a, a brilliant thinker on football and social masses and also a brilliant articulator of those thoughts he's uh, very listenable and um i highly recommend that interview we also had the latest episode of straight off the training ground which is my uh behind the paywall podcast that i do with chris Somersell, who is a, a coach and also a, a football analyst doing recruitment and opposition analysis chris is great he kind of bridges the gap between those two worlds. He he's currently coaching um, a women's team. They, I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to say oh, who. I, I don't think it's public. Ooh. Yeah, Ooh. I don't know. I don't know if he's he's announced that publicly or not. So I won't say just in case. He uh, announced he something. I don't know if he gave the details away in the tweets. Yeah, I don't know if it's. Mm. I feel like he did, but I don't want to. I don't want to gamble it and have to go back and edit this. So, yeah, if you don't know, you can find out possibly by just like scrolling back a few days on his Twitter, or alternatively, subscribe into the Patreon and listen to the latest episodes. Uh, needless to say, they're a, they're a big club, and he's coaching um, one of the women's youth teams, and they're doing a grand job. He speaks about that. We spoke about his thoughts on Nathan's Giovanni Lo Celso video. Um, and Chris sort of talked about what he would implement from a coaching perspective to kind of tighten up some of the, I was going to say weaknesses that, that Nathan um, mentioned about Lo Celso's game. But they're not really necessarily weaknesses. They're just the way he plays. Because <laughs> they're things he can do, but he just doesn't do them. So that was really interesting. 
Um, and then also we've got Bardi's book club back again. Bardi. Yeah, I spotted a, an article in The Guardian about Gaza going shark fishing. And as someone who's always been a bit obsessed with Gaza, I had to go and read it. It turns out it was written by, what was an ex, it was a part of um, John Sheridan's book, The Limping Physio. So he's put together um, his memoirs about his time about being a physio in professional football, working with Tottenham. And I started reading it, really enjoyed the first few chapters, got in touch with his son because John's not on Twitter. And uh, yeah, now I've been in touch with John and he's going to come on the he's going to come on Bardi's book club and we're going to chat about the changing attitude of, of sports health working at Tottenham Gaza's knee and going shark fishing with Gaza and the first thing that struck me immediately was when he was early on in his career he went to a, a football club in Tring and like the players like were against warming up they just didn't <laughs> believe in it their warm-up was having a cup of tea and he was just like no 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 you you have to commit you have to warm up and they started warming up and results started to go their way and they started to believe in him so it really is that kind in the late 70s into 80s early 90s change of kind of ideas on health and and your well-being in football so yeah looking forward to that that sounds really fascinating mm, yeah i have and, a um, book to put on your pile i got dm'd a book i need i'll pass it on it's a it's a tactical book uh so that'll be interesting add it to the pile man the more the merrier this i have i'm rattling through this book well hopefully we'll speak to john in the next couple of weeks and while i'm here i want to give a shout out to ian and eddie who i both saw at the um at the tough runner event this saturday ian and eddie were both running the 10k um ian came up and was telling me that he was going to listen to our podcast on his 10k to keep him company and eddie is one of our uh, ex-subs and he's very active in our little ex-sub community and shout out to him for completing his first 10k as well eddie leads the uh Tongi defense league uh, he's got an important role in the in the discord <laughs> uh yeah i mean I, I essentially report to him um as one of his commanders so yeah he's he's a big cheese over there um cal asks will we ever be happy again which cal is this buddy is this is this cal from the discord or is this um cal from the fighting cock no this is that for cal from the fighting cock he's he's not refined enough to listen to us this is um cal from the discord oh shout out to cal cal the aggregator he is um he is a, an asset to the discord really is and a, a lovely lovely human being as well um nathan will we ever be happy again yeah, in uh, in 2034, when we make a good push for the Dunkin' Donuts League One promotion, we'll be happy. And um, in 2076, when we, the fans have a whip around, we buy the club out of its administration, we'll be pretty happy about that. And uh, in 2103, uh, when all football is banned forever, we'll, we'll be pretty relieved. So I think we'll be happy again, yeah. Banned because the temperatures have risen so high that um, to to be outside or even yeah. inside playing football would be too dangerous. A- any kind of light cardio activity is um, <laughs> worsening the situation. Yeah, um, cheer me right up. Uh, so, 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 so to genuinely cheer ourselves up, how about we talk about a, another defeat to a local rival? Um, Jesus Christ! Let's let's try and find. Some some moments of joy in amongst the inevitable misery. Um, where to start, Bardi? What were your what were your thoughts going into this one? Were you confident that we would would give West Ham a good game? I thought we might beat them because West Ham haven't been great after Europa League games. They've they've been it's been a little bit mixed, and they're not really experienced in dealing with the whole kind of Thursday Sunday routine. So I thought perhaps we might have the edge on them, especially considering none of our players went. But yeah. <laughs> 
that didn't work. Um, I think a positive is Nuno knows what his best team is. That's a positive. Unfortunately, he doesn't know how they work or how he can make them work, <laughs> which is a negative. <laughs> and he's yeah. but it's, it's good that he knows what's the best team. Um, okay. I'm happy for him that he can he can go to sleep at night thinking about it. We'll get into the kind of ins and outs of the game, but there were moments of I thought we played pretty well for 20 minutes in the first half where we created a couple of opportunities. Um, but yeah, it's yeah we only lost one nil. That's a positive. <laughs> It kind of is. Like, I, I, there's a question here that's taken the piss, but like, <laughs> sincerely it is because like, okay, so after the game, Nuno spoke about like, it was fine. It was, it was a decent performance. We played well. We controlled the game. And it's like, well, we did. That's obviously not the full story, but like, I don't know. Uh, it feels, it feels like we're a shambles at the moment, but that wasn't exactly a shambles of a performance. It was just a poor performance, right? Mm-hmm. So we're mm-hmm. decent defensively now and we are controlling the game and we are having the ball and we are sort of generally sort of fairly kind of solid. We're just really lacking for creativity. Yeah. I think yeah. I, I think that's a that is a huge positive there that we have we have. Found <laughs> it doesn't feel some, like it, but it is. No, it is. You're, you're right because sometimes when we have calamitous defeats, you're like, where do we go from here? Where, there's no way back. It's it burn everything, sell everybody. But there are some some signs that there could be something coming here. But the problem is the you know that when Endombele pick comes deep, we need Endombele to be in front to be collecting the ball of Endombele, and that's yeah. the, that's a huge problem. <laughs> at the moment he can't be everywhere in the same way that Kane can't be everywhere he can't be everywhere so uh... if Kane could be somewhere that would be that would be a start <laughs> yeah yeah um, I suppose counter to, to what you just said Barty the, the sort of devil's advocate position would be no this is um, a devil's advocate Wendy this is you being full Nuno out but being unwilling to commit yet no what I was going to say like, judge that after I've asked, made the point um, mm. I was going to say we only lost 1-0 but you did just say West Ham haven't, that, haven't been that good and also they had a game in midweek so presumably were a lot more fatigued than us so is only losing 1-0 to a team that we in theory have a physical advantage over that worth celebrating no no this is of course no one's celebrating celebrating. (laughs) no no one's in celebrating windy come on What you're saying is it wasn't United having their pants pulled down. Yeah, it wasn't. Level. It wasn't. Our philosophy hasn't been exposed and destroyed and set fire to. So there is something in that. They scored a set piece goal and they didn't really. They they didn't really hurt us, but then we didn't hurt them. It wasn't that. This this is how my football team plays, and they go out and it just gets absolutely ransacked. Like when <laughs> AVB got destroyed by Liverpool, or who 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 when Mourinho's teams got spanked by Zagreb and everybody else so it's not a, a footballing philosophy being taken apart bit by bit it's just all a bit of a meh of not knowing where we're going from here if this game had happened after like a run of wins it would be like oh bloody West Ham they they do this mm. to us <laughs> one of those games and and we wouldn't be that upset it's only because it's like it's on the end of okay we beat Newcastle but like a terrible run that it feels like we've hit a new low but like I don't think we've we have hit a new low it's just a continuation of the low we were already on right yeah I think so and also the thing that kind of strikes me is we we revel in chaos since we put Skip back in the middle if we come up against a chaotic team then we will probably beat that chaotic team it's when we come up against a team as well organised and as well drilled as West Ham that's when we have issues and just before we started recording I watched Nathan's video and it's probably a good time for Nathan to talk about his, his video 
so in the video, it's only it's it's, it's three minutes something long, uh, and I outline sort of the basis of the way that Nuno's teams attack, which is that they play the long ball over the top. They do the big switch across to the opposite side, either winger or fullback, depending on the shape. And they do the quick bounce pass stuff in the middle. And um, that worked against Newcastle, who were bad. And we've been doing this thing recently where, like, so and uh, recently two games, where, like, Ndombele is the number 10, um, but, like, only really on the team sheet. And so the, the all three members of the two and one of the the, the midfield, like, so Skip and Hoybier drop all the way into the defensive line. And Ndombele is the number 10, comes to, way towards the play like he's a central midfielder. And so the fullbacks and the wingers push on and, and join Kane as to be a front five. So so we're getting Ndombele on the ball earlier, um, which, which which was great against Newcastle and, and I think, you know, can be effective potentially again. But West Ham, because we, because we fully rotated midweek, we very much telegraphed who we were going to play the weekend and how we were going to play and all oh, it works last week. So Moyes came prepared because, like, the switch is only really viable to Regulon and the ball over the top is only really viable to Sun and the playing through the middle is only really viable through Ndombele. So you have Moyes, who is like a specialist in cancelling out, you know, in, in sort of defensive preparation, specialised defensive preparation. And so he said, OK, we'll lean over towards our right side when we need to, to stop Regulon, and we'll watch for the runs of Sun, but not step forwards or, you know, not worry too much about what Lucas and Kane are doing in behind. And um, we'll prioritise marking Ndombele and closing down Ndombele and fouling Ndombele. And so he wasn't, you know, and it's not like it completely shut us down, right? So we had what, 0.6 expected goals, 0.8 expected goals or something in that kind of region. And we had other chances like that the didn't turn into shots. Um, for Nuno to be like happy about it, for Nuno to say there wasn't a, like a creativity in, problem in midfield or that he should just be happy with the performance, obviously that is way too far. Um, but it's not like we weren't present in the game at all, but we can be prepared for pretty well at the moment. Like Arsenal prepared well well for us. We've changed things up. West Ham have prepared well for us. It's kind of, I don't know, it's all a bit kind of, you can write out the plans on like a post-it note. And so you can be, you can be ready for that, you know? Yeah, it just all feels a bit basic right now. Um, and like you pointed out, in the same way that with Mourinho's teams, we were very reliant on Kane and Son and Dombele. In Nuno's system, we we're very reliant on Kane and Son and Dombele. And I, I kind of get it. They're, they're our three best attacking players. So why would we not be reliant on them? But um, you've got to find a way to move the ball through the team, not just through individual players. And we really struggled. I mean, I wanted to get your thoughts, Nathan, on that period between around about 10th minute and around about the sort of 30, 35th minute, something like that, where Spurs had lots of the ball, loads of the ball. And on um, in commentary on Sky Sports, they were sort of saying, oh, Spurs are growing into the game. I didn't think we were growing to the game. I thought we were having possession to stop West Ham having the ball. <laughs> it was kind of a defensive tactic. Um, and I get the impression that you thought from your video that, in fact, we were trying to find a way to um, enter the middle of the pitch, to find Ndombele during that period. Yeah. My, my, my thoughts were, when, um, 
we had the ball. It was so there, there were three players seeing lots of the ball during this period: Skip, Huibier, and Dyer. For some reason, Romero's having less of it. He's a bit deeper. Um, I don't really know why, actually. Don't really know why. But Dyer, Skip, and Huibier were just constantly passing the ball side to side to side between them. And it's funny because when you look at the um, the pass maps, Dyer's is just ridiculous <laughs> because there's so many passes stemming from him. Um, he he's like the one that was given the the job of moving the ball forward, which is questionable. Um, but to me, it, it didn't look like we were attempting to find Ndombele. It looked like we were just attempting to keep the ball to stop West Ham having it because West Ham weren't weren't pressing us when we had the ball in our back line. They were happy to let us have the ball, retain their shape, be difficult to play through. And so we we just seemed to settle for that too. Um, and in some ways, I guess, to see out the first half. And we did that. We, we got in at nil-nil, having been under pressure for the first 10 minutes. And then I guess West Ham had a little flurry at the end as well. Um so yeah, I'm not sure. What did you think? Do you think Spurs were having the ball for the sake of defending or were we genu- genuinely trying to access Ndombele? I think that that is how we try to access Ndombele, is that we, we keep it and we work it and we work it and we work it until we have an opportunity to hit one of those three lanes of attacking. Um, and there are like defensive upsides to that as well. And you're trying to provoke West Ham forward, except that um, Antonio and who was the other forwards? Uh, we were pretty much glued into Ndombele the whole time and weren't interested in whatever Skip and Hoivier were doing. Yeah, you can you can pass between yourselves and yeah, you yeah. can occasionally play quick one-twos with Lucas and then turn around and go back to passing over there again. You can do that as much. And then you can pass it out to, to Regulon, but you telegraph that pass and so we can just go stand and watch him and prevent his options and then you can pass it back and that's fine. As long as you don't pass it to Ndombele, oh, you managed to find him once, we'll tackle him immediately. And he's getting tired. <laughs> now because he's jogging around so much trying to find the ball so i think that that is i don't think it, i don't think that was a defensive thing maybe it's like it's a control thing we want to establish dominance over the game so that we can begin to um i don't know lower west ham's morale with them seeing a lack of the ball or get get the west ham fans jeering or whatever but like mainly i think that that is how we play and that is our our, our model of of possession. Mm. I didn't have a huge issue with us moving the ball across the back four, um, going into midfield and coming back out. I I don't mind that. I would rather us keep the ball there than try and chuck it into Lucas or try and find Reggie on with a loose pass, which we did a few times. I, I don't have a problem with that. Um, draw, Try and draw West Ham out. The onus is on West Ham. They're playing at home. They're the favourites almost for this game. I, and keeping the ball is a smart thing to do and I, I prefer us to try and do that. Um, unfortunately, West Ham would just smarter at it they just didn't make any mistakes and the opportunities when we did get through on goal Sun uh, scuffed his and Kane headed straight at Fabianski had we scored a goal first had we scored the first goal it would have opened up the match but West Ham were more than happy just to David Moyes us out of this game and just rely on the fact that they make less mistakes and I think ultimately that's what won them the game it may have been a different game if it was a foul to stand on the back of Ndombele's ankle but um, yeah I thought that was a penalty (laughs) I I don't know I I can't begin to understand how it's not and I'm not one to like want to like focus on refereeing calls or whatever but like goodness and then we had like the studs into the back of Foybjerg's upper thigh and yeah um, yeah was a, was a I mean, bit of a silly one that tackle at Endobelli was more of a penalty than what Juventus got last night in Milan it was yeah it was it, I thought it was a penalty I think he didn't get it because um, 
so he treads on the ball. He treads on the ball, attempting to make contact with the ball, expecting the foul. So he's kind of asking for the foul, but the foul comes. So, but I think that's why he didn't get it. I think it's because Insane. he's trying to encourage the foul, which is that, stupid. That, which is that's football. Just... <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not whatever, whatever. Yeah. There's not a clause. There's not a clause in in the thing that it's not a penalty if you're expecting to get fouled. It, it doesn't exist. If it's a foul, if it's a foul, it's a foul. It doesn't matter if I knew it was coming. Yeah, but they they had this thing at the start of the year, didn't they, about trying to cut out sort of softer penalties, and I guess that comes into that category because he's he's deliberately this trying is, to anticipate. This but is it's the, stupid. the equivalent of it's not a goal because you lo- looked at the other post when you and you you <laughs> fools the keeper. It's like that's sports. Like that is that is ball sport endeavor is disguise and guile, but. Okay. Once we knew that VAR were the VAR was looking at it, I felt positive that we get penalty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was I was waiting for the like, yeah. But just in case there are a, a West, there is one West Ham fan out there who is tuning in to listen to us talk about this. That's not the reason why we lost. I don't want them going. Oh, Spurs blaming the penalty. It wasn't the penalty. Also, we were bad. <laughs> yeah, we were bad. Yeah, yeah. And we, yeah. we maybe we could have got away with it. And if you are listening, your stadium's crap. I mean, I think um, West Ham played in a sensible way, given that they did have a game in midweek that they they took all their first team to, or the majority of their first team to. They were they were compact. They they saved their energy, and then they broke out as a team um, pretty effectively. That that first ten minutes. So this is the most frustrating thing for me. Seeing us fail to move the ball through our midfield was one thing. You know, Dyer having multiple touches. And then West Ham seemed to have no problem accessing their midfield, and you know Rice was almost sort of, dare I say, Dembele-esque with how he was willing to take the ball in tight spaces and turn on it and move forward. And there was this thing that Dembele used to do for Spurs. He would, um, when Spurs were in trouble, when when it might, like, we were about to lose the ball, Dembele would be available to receive it and essentially rescue the situation. And Rice was performing that role for West Ham yesterday. He was was the get-out guy. He was like, if any player's under pressure, Rice is there to take it, and he'll take it with two players breathing down his neck, and he'll pirouette away, and he'll he'll move the ball on. He was really fantastic. Um, But... He's the only one of West Ham's players that I think would start for us. He's the only one. I think we are better 1-11 to or at least equal to 1-11. to I don't know. Maybe uh, Zuma gets in front of Dyer, in my opinion. Maybe, and, maybe it's close though, right? That's a close battle between yeah. Zuma and Dyer. I would play Antonio over the snake right now as well. But like over a season, you wouldn't pick Antonio over Kane. Obviously, Antonio would be an incredible backup, but he's not better than Harry Kane. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, Harry Kane's one of the best this. strikers in Europe, and Antonio's not. I mean, I know, it's just I, not. I agree, but Harry Kane at the moment is a bit. I, I think I'm just bitter because I captained Harry Kane for my fantasy football and I, I put all my faith in him and instead of putting into Salah and I'm, I'm still upset about it but so the, the point I'm making is that we're we're mainly better than West Ham we were a better team than West Ham so to sort of go into the match against a tired West Ham team that we are man for man better than to play this way was just disappointing it was really disappointing and then to not even muster a shot in the second half despite being behind for a you know best part of 20 minutes of that 20-25 minutes of that was even more disappointing the subs came too late you know you're left thinking what what are you seeing here Nuno he comes out after the match and says that we were the better team are you lying to yourself to us or both I don't I don't quite get it Hmm. what do you think Nathan is he is he kidding himself um 
So I, I do think there's like, <laughs> I feel like there is a medium level of honesty here, right? I think that like he is happy about the amount of control that we had in that game. He is fairly happy with the decent defensive performance. He is happy with like some ideas coming forward and some sort of formational plans coming to light and that sort of stuff. But also he is exaggerating because he's like he is genuinely like under it now. And he can't mm. he can't be like, No, I was, I'm so sorry, we're a disgrace out there, I'm so embarrassed. But uh, he's gonna he wants to try to like brush the badness under the under the carpet and pretend it isn't as bad as it was for the media to like mm. help try to relieve a little bit of the pressure on his job. I I think. He's got he's got two routes that Nuno can take right now. He can go after the players and just bury the players, and then we know how that always works for Spurs managers who go after players, or try and find the positives and keep praising the team and and hope that things turn around and that when we play Man United, they're as equally as chaotic as Newcastle and Villa, and we get something from the game. I think that's where he is now. He can't go after the players because the fans will turn on him and the players will turn on him, and he'll be out faster than he would be anyway. I think the fans have long turned on him, to be honest. I mean, the, the, there's there's still some sort of vague, um, I was going to say support, but it's not even support. It's just that people aren't singing against him actively at that, games because that would be counterproductive. But that's, I, that th- is support, there's, a, there's, a, there's a groundswell of uh, opinion that he shouldn't be in post. I okay. think... Quick fire, Nuno in or out? Um, I have to, I mean, I'm Nuno out long term, but short term, I don't see an alternative. So yeah. I think we're kind of stuck with him. That's I'd, have sacked, I'd have sacked him after the three matches with three conceded. But then you sack him and then you do what? And then you put in Mason. There's, there's no option there. You so have at, to that, at that Mason. point, at that point, I wouldn't have put in Ryan Mason because I thought that would have been absolute madness. I would appoint Ryan Mason now. Not, not that I want Ryan Mason, but I'd rather have Ryan Mason than Nuno right wow. now. Wow. He's going to go to Charlton. So that, that I, I suspect he might be going to Charlton. So that, that option might be off the table at some point soon. Uh, I would appoint Eddie Howe. Um, I would absolutely appoint Ralph Hasenhutl. I would, I, there's so many managers I'd take ahead of Nuno right now. And, and the thing is, we spoke about this in the question and answer episode last week about him being a transitional manager. They have to have something big lined up. Like they have, they they need to make sure the next managerial appointment is correct. But at the moment, we're not just treading water. We are treading water, but we're not just treading water. We're also winding down the contracts of our best players who will be getting more and more fed up, more and more close to leaving. So what's the point? What's the point in continuing doing what we're doing? We maybe like try something different and maybe things, maybe the planets align and we have a another Pochettino moment where someone comes in and does something magical. This is this is going to take us to at best a miserable sixth. And I, I don't want it to be miserable. And I, I want, while we've got these good players, because they might not be here forever, I want to try for more than sixth. I think this is a really good season to, to catch fourth. And a good because, squad. I think it's and a, a good, good squad, squad to do so. You know, other than the top three, there is a very sort of, there's a group of teams that are very close in their ability to finish fourth. The fact that we could have gone fourth at the weekend, having played as badly as we have, is like a testament to how like vulnerable the league is right now. And I think it will exactly. settle towards the latter end of the season and it'll become a lot more contested. But we we could have been, um, you know, making some distance and, and, and with that being very happy. <laughs> Right um, so what's your what's your thought Nathan in or out uh, I mean my position is that like 
since before the day we hired you know we should also have been looking for the manager <laughs> after him right and if one comes along i don't mind i don't feel too bad about like cutting strings immediately um i guess that is exacerbated a little now and i think like so if we don't see a more attacking lineup with like Ndombele deeper and and only one of skipper hoiberg within the next mm. two matches then like <laughs> I'm I'm still not like Mason in, but I'm I'm like let's find the next guy. I didn't think I would ever be. I mean, I, th- <laughs> I think I said that it would be absolutely insane to appoint Ryan Mason as manager. Um, but now I'm at the point where I think it's absolutely insane to continue with Nuno Espirito Santo as manager. I think it's more insane to continue with him because it's just going in one direction. It's so obvious, and things are going to get toxic pretty quickly. Not because he's a bad person, but because I think he's doing a bad job. I think he's doing a really bad job. Um, I want to give a shout out. So, so some people ask questions. We kind of covered their questions without actually answer, answering, um, without actually asking them. I should say. So, Son Renity, thank you. Um, Bobby Docs, thank you. 
And uh, I recently discovered that the issue is not with the muscles themselves, but with um, well, other soft tissue that, that, that was forcing my pelvis to be out of line. And I've realigned my pelvis and then continued on with those exercises. And my my ass has dramatically changed shape to the point that my girlfriend pointed out from like across the room. And that like there were these weird dimples going on that have suddenly vanished and my ass has rounded out. And the muscles are actually like connected where they're meant to be and engaging and, and being useful now so yes i'm glad we glad we stumbled onto that topic it's such an important muscle it really is it's like it's your it's your big is it the biggest muscle on your body well the the glutes as a collective are the biggest like muscular collect i guess the maximus glute maxis is probably bigger than the the quads of the hamstrings so yeah yeah my wife is nodding her head at me as as, (laughs) as we record she she loves talking about my butt but you're right you can you can actually change the shape of it by using resistance bands it was like it was overnight i'm not saying like i've developed muscular over like a period of weeks and i've like i'm saying like the shape like the i don't know how maybe there's like a physio listening in like screaming at his phone right now because it's like it may it, he can explain it so much better than me but like my my body has been <laughs> reformed <laughs> like in the period of like a couple of days it's great that we're talking about butts as well because last it's week the spurs we, isn't it <laughs> yeah and we windy revealed that he loves nathan uh, not nathan's butt <laughs> and Don- <laughs> And Don Bellet's butt. <laughs> Happy to also reveal that. In fact, Nathan's showing us his newly formed butt right now, and I can see it really has changed. It's quite incredible. <laughs> okay, there's the end of the butt segment. Um, let's talk Team 18B. Uh, so th- th- there's, there's a lot of interesting discussion to unpack here, I think. Um, so Spurs made it quite clear early on that they were going to take a completely second eleven to play Vitesse. Um, in fact, first, let's get your thoughts on that, Barty. How do you how do you feel about this? A full change of the eleven with the first team not even travelling. Um, I'm very pro rotation if you win. I'm very anti rotation if you lose. And that's you, you can't rotate. You can't give up a cup. I mean, you can't give up a cup game and then focus on the league game and lose both. It's just, <laughs> yeah, it's just not done. You can't do that. I would rather have gone a little bit heavier, beaten Vitesse, taken some of the stress out of qualifying for the next round in the Conference League, and then had we lost to West Ham, it would have been like it happens. Um, but to lose both is inexcusable, and it's and not just losing. We'll probably get into how we played it's the sacrificing of a young boy massacring a, a young striker by just punting balls up at him when he's against a huge center back a huge established pro who was just eating him for breakfast it was it was ridiculous and I felt so sad for Scarlett and I, I hope he doesn't play another first team game for us because he doesn't deserve that treatment Nathan how about you are you uh, are you a fan of a team a team b approach uh kind of am to be honest I uh I agree that like throwing together 11 players who aren't playing together or football regularly at all is to almost throw the match away and I agree that to do that and then lose at the weekend anyway is embarrassing and I agree that this probably isn't great for the development of Scarlett or Hill or any of the younger players but I still think that the Europa Conference League is such a catastrophe and a joke and all that travel is so terrible for your players that I still think, yeah, sure, whatever. And then the, the 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 ploy we've been running is that like you do all the fringe players together, the the B team for the away 
fixture and then you bring in a handful of senior players for the home fixture and that'll comfortably get us into is it top two we need to be in the little group we know some nonsense onto the next stage so like i don't know it feels obviously a really annoying right now because it's kind of it feels stupid but i don't i think i think it i think long term it's the smart it's the smart play I, I I do I do agree with that, but there are problems with if if we have three ways of attacking and three ways of playing, then putting giving uh, Brian Hill moments on the pitch with Lucas and other players will probably help his help his development rather than him playing alongside Ben Davies and um, Tanganga right back. Interesting. So so two pro team A and team B. I'm absolutely against it. I hate it. Um, you've covered a lot of the reasons why. To be honest, I, I think it's. I think it's bad for motivation. I think it's bad for for relationship building. I think it's particularly bad for development of young players. I mean, my 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 perfect scenario, which I appreciate is unrealistic at the moment, is that we have um, a system that works that players can come in and out of, and we rotate players regularly, but um, not constantly. So maybe like Huibier plays four out of six matches or four out of eight matches or six out of eight matches rather than he plays one and then not the other. Um, so four out of eight was a really bad example there. Um, and in that way, you can rotate every player, but you're constantly playing a strong team. So in your Premier League matches, you might not play your on paper best 11, whatever that is. We don't even know what that is um, because you'll be playing your on paper best nine with say Brian Heal this time or, um, or maybe even Dane Scarlett this time. And I think that's the best way of building relationships across the pitch and keeping everyone suitably fresh. I appreciate it's easier just to go, here's team A, here's team B. But I think the points that Harry Winks alluded to are really critical here. It's so bad for motivation and morale to feel like you're no longer a first-team player and instead you're in team B, particularly when um, that leads to you losing the match, as Bardi points out, and playing really, really badly, by the way, uh, which is in itself bad for motivation. So you've played badly, you've lost the match, you're clearly not going to progress into the A team because you've played badly and lost the match. So what happens with you now? You're constantly stuck in team B. Are we ever going to see a player progress from team, a, team B to team A? Some people argue that Romero has progressed from team yeah. B to team A, but I think that was a fitness exercise only. I mm. think Romero was always going to be team A, ultimately. Um, and, and if anything, it's just a choice of who moves from team A to team B out of Dyer and Sanchez. So I, I struggle. I really am struggling with this um, concept, but equally the fixtures are to blame because the fixture list is ridiculous. Fair enough. I it does highlight. I mean, Harry Winks. The, Harry Winks needs to defend himself because he's a he's a nice guy, but he's a terrible footballer right now. So I understand him having to defend himself publicly. There Even are, if he could are... defend his centre backs instead, it's <laughs> <laughs> yes, so true. unnecessary. He's already dead, Nathan. Yeah, I know. I know. It was nice to see Mark Ande. I thought he, I thought he did one nice turn. He looked bright, looked interesting. But then, other than that, there wasn't really much else to take from it. Lacelso had a couple of bright moments. He'll hit the bar. Um, Vitesse seemed to enjoy themselves. And good for them. So I thought Lacelso had some bright moments too, Bardi. He got absolutely obliterated on social media, Reddit. Um, I can't. It's kind of maybe want to go back and like rewatch every Lacelso touch because I thought he was. I thought he was pretty good. I thought I thought he was like one of the only players that showed up and was pretty good. He made a couple of driving runs through the middle of midfield. He played some really nice first time passes. 
Uh, he was trying to get on the ball and make things happen alongside Winks, who really, really, really struggled in this game. And I thought he was, I thought he was all right. It was everyone else that was the problem. I mean, I actually, I love Brian Hill. I think Brian Hill's got immense potential, but I thought he had a terrible game. I thought being on the right um, really did not suit him. He's he's barely played in the right throughout his career, and to me, it was clear to see why um, he was receiving the ball. And so when he's on the left, he can shape to go inside, drop his shoulder, go on the outside and beat his man. So he kind of wanted to do the same again, except when he dropped his shoulder to go on the outside, he's on his right foot. His right foot is clearly not as, as good as his left foot. And he, he lost it doing that three or four times in my, by my count uh, and just generally, generally really struggled out there. But um, yeah, I mean, Bardi's right. Scarlett had a tough game up against two big old centre-backs who just, like Bardi said, ate him for breakfast. Mm. Um, I do want to talk a little bit more about Markande. I think the Markande situation is really interesting. So he was a player that came into the under-18s. Absolutely tiny. Absolutely tiny when he came into the under-18s. Um, really weak on the ball. Would get brushed off it quite easily, but clearly had potential. Really quick feet. Um, like a burst away from a marker really quickly. Um, and he got kept on and obviously has become a professional, played for the under-23s. And over the last 18 months, he's put on a huge amount of upper body muscle. And he doesn't get knocked off the ball anymore as a result of that. He really holds his own well. And this season, because Dane Scarlett has been playing with the first team and the first team only, he's played two under-23 matches, which I think is a mistake, by the way. Um, Akandi's been playing quite a lot of um, centre-forward for the under-23s. And he's been scoring goals and getting assists and playing really well. You know, Player of the Month nominee for the um, PL2. Um, very, very impressive. Consistently our best player. I think Mark Andy should be, should have been getting all of Dane Scarlett's minutes that he's had so far. But there's something interesting, I think, going on there. So firstly, I think Spurs are scared of losing Scarlett like they've lost other exciting uh... young players. So I think they're incentivizing Scarlett by giving him minutes. So he, to my to my mind, Scarlett is not quite ready just yet. For Was he around, playing under 18s all last season? Yes, so he played some under twenty. Okay. He played some under twenty threes games, but not many. Uh, he's basically gone from under twenty threes to first team, with some under twenty three under eighteen matches. First team under eighteen to first team. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, um, I think he should be on loan. I think he should be on loan in perhaps League Two, and I think he would get a lot from that. I think first team is bad for him at the moment. Whereas Markande is out of contract this summer, and um, what we've seen with Spurs in the past is this sort of standoff. This sort of, well, I'm not going to sign a contract unless you play me. Well, we're not going to play you unless you sign a contract. And I wonder if that's playing into things here as well. So on one hand, you've got Spurs wanting to incentivize Scarlett to stay, to not leave, to not follow in the path of Noni Madueke, Amari Forson, even players like Rhea Griffiths, um, who left and ultimately hasn't done much for, for Leon, but, you know, left. Lewis Binks is another now playing men's football for Bologna. Um... Milos Velkovic was in the same standoff, not getting games, but not wanting to sign because he wasn't getting games. So this is a this is a thing that happens with young players, and it's a really tricky one to manage. But I think personally, Markande is ahead of Scarlett in his development. He's more physically ready. I think he would deliver more on the pitch, and I think he should be getting all of those minutes with Scarlett playing under twenty three football or being out on loan. It's interesting to me. I think there's a lot to to um, 
learn from this situation as the months progress because if Markande starts playing now um, and becomes a feature then that completely goes against my point here uh, and we shall see it will be very very interesting to see how it pans out but yeah Markande is definitely a talent always had the skill uh, didn't have the physical attributes and now he's developed that as well and he's he's really come on and I think he will get an under 20s England under 20s call up in the near future because he's he's certainly good enough to represent his country he's fantastic really talented young player I mean, if I'm a talented young player at Spurs and they put me up front and they're just whacking balls at my head, that's <laughs> yeah. not going to encourage me to sign a contract. Right. You're like, I mean, gonna... yeah. he literally had two long balls played up towards him with his back to those defenders. It was ridiculous. Yep. He's like a five go... foot poacher and they're just like lofting balls generally into his vicinity. Mad I'm going to go to the Bundesliga and just walk past their, their statuesque defenders and score a load of goals there. Hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. Or go to Portugal like Marcus Edwards and uh, and have some fun there. Yep. Yeah, um I, I I'm intrigued to see what he decides to do. Um but he yeah, he's he's good enough to be playing first team football if not for Spurs then for probably a championship team to be honest. He's he's very good. He he scored two more goals for the under 23s um this week, both assisted by Jack Clark who apparently is also doing pretty well. He's played well when I've seen him certainly for the 23s this year. Uh, another player, Clark, who needs to be on loan, really needs to be on loan. He's, I can't imagine he's getting much at all from the 23s. So, yeah, I think there's some some question marks still about how we're developing our young players. It's, it's not quite how I'd like to see things being done, but, um, you know, it's, it's definitely improved since <laughs> since the days of no loans, that's for sure. Um, let's do some questions before we go. Um, Austin Lafaint says... Broader question for Nathan. How has the way you learned new things about football changed over the years? For example, I'm assuming that in the past there was more which was newer to you and it came from a wider variety of mediums. How has it evolved? How has it evolved and what does it look like now? Twitter, conversations with friends, research for video series, etc. What have you learned about taking in new ideas or learnings that you wish you knew previously? Mm, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, with anything like the less you know, the more <laughs> information there is to like to get at i guess um i don't know there isn't there isn't yeah there isn't like easily available resources i have to learn at a much lower pace about stuff obviously i can i can be like oh hey tiago what's this specific player like or whatever um that's not really like developing my understanding of football as a whole or whatever but then i guess how i do learn is still in sort of in in case studies it's by doing a video on a manager or by a new manager coming to spurs and learning their system like really really in depth and all of the intricacies going on there and then work and then working backwards out of the specific into wider football um yeah so there's there's like so oh, I, I don't know how to pronounce it Spielverlang, the 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 german analysis and coaching website that isn't that active anymore i don't think does stuff that is still like difficult for me to comprehend through reading but like i do understand all of the concepts even if i don't in a specific piece um and yeah and, and of course like the more in-depth you get with the sort of analysis the closer it gets towards coaching because it kind of has to and then coaching is a bit of a a bit of a dead end for me because i don't have the coaching experience or the or an enormous amount of interest in like how to run sessions and stuff because obviously like you can only talk about an idea so much before you have to talk about how to create that idea on the pitch um so yeah i don't know um it's not like there's a great depth of like 
academic writing on the subject and hundreds of years of tradition like if you're going to study a history or a science or even an mm. art like there's more in-depth content than you can ever possibly read whereas i mean there is kind of that stuff but it's it's behind the scenes and you have to be involved with coaches you have to be working at a club and then i mean the way like uh, football management is an apprenticeship position right it's you you you're a, you're probably a former professional footballer or uh, who has worked under a manager or you are otherwise working under a manager and so you learn kind of like what i was saying earlier about a case study is that you learn their system all day every day for years and then that becomes your style of football and maybe you tweak it and update it or modernize it or whatever but you you're a specialist it's not like i mean you, you you do get it it's not like it never happens but you don't get like managers just completely changing their ideology of football midway through their career very much um they'll change from game to game but those are just those are just aspects and varieties within the way that they play i've mentioned before the 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 clock thing where like he's changed his assistant manager he used to play this super high turnover version of 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 football and then he made that change and now they play a more steady possession kind of football so i guess that kind of happens but that that that's mainly not the case i feel like i have lost where this question started now (laughs) (laughs) um the bit that i'm interested in in terms of um coaching and management is not the how you how you how you deliver the setup but how you come to the setup in the first place uh, and that's something that you still don't really get much insight to, do you? There's not really much kind of... So, like, how does a manager decide what his philosophy is? How does he decide what his approach is for a particular game? And then how does he communicate those ideas? That's the stuff that I love. We didn't see enough of it for my liking in All or Nothing. I'd have really liked to didn't have see seen... any of it, really. No, we saw a couple of snippets, but they were very vague and very difficult to well we had to sort of use detective work to work out what they were referring to um and i'd I'd love a bit more insight i'd love to understand more about that part of the process but it's 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 largely a team effort it's it's not so much this sort of idea of you know the great man who just (laughs) like works back it's like the video analysts come together and they've got this tape and they show that's the 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 assistant manager and they look through and they have a bunch of notes and then you talk to your coaching team and you come up with some ideas together and then you formulate the session and then you like divert like uh hand out all of the roles and you do stuff like that rather than just like nuno goes into his office and he thinks for three hours straight and he goes i've decided how we will play the next game and then like just hands out the information from there so nuno galaxy brain yeah so I just remembered there is one place where I found insight. Um, when I did all that research for Paolo Fonseca, when we thought he was going to join, mm. there was a really great documentary on YouTube about Fonseca, um, which had access and showed how those conversations happened with the video analysts and the whole team. And it was really fascinating to me. I loved that. Buddy, how did you learn about football? Um, I like to look back. Um, as, as I get older, I find myself sometimes being that proper old man as I was a football great back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like to look back and see how things were in the 90s, the 80s. And obviously, it's a lot of what I like to read about is Italy, but World Cups and stuff. And just see how football has changed in that, in that period of time instead of always having to think forward and think about the now. We spend so much of our time, I know there's a whole point of a podcast, talking about what happened 
two days ago or what's going to happen tomorrow. I like to go back when things things at the time seemed that important. But you go back and you, you admire you admire what was what was going on in those days. So I think that's as I've got older, I found myself looking back a little bit more and just to see how changes back then and now. You know, you could see almost the footsteps of of how modern footballs come from back then. Nice, and the, the past always informs the future as well. Exactly. Um, before we go, I just want to mention um, that we have a shop on our website, theextrange.co.uk, uh, and in that shop we sell Bardi's print, Bardi's photo of the finale um, at White Hart Lane. It's a really lovely photo, and we've made a few sales of that print recently. I think people are kind of starting to find out it exists in print form, uh, mm-hmm. and that, that's been great. Uh, I think I'm going to grab one. Yeah, it does look lovely. Uh, we've had some pictures as well that people have sent us of the kind of finished product and it, it comes out really well. Um, when we first set up the shop, it was linked to my personal PayPal and it was really annoying because when I was trying to work out the small amount of profit that we've made from our 50 sales, I had to like go through my bank statements and work out which PayPal payments were my PayPal purchases and which were payments going from my account to the shop to then it's weird how it works but that's how it that's how it appeared in the bank statement and finally after battling paypal for the last four weeks they have changed the bank account over and it's not coming out of my personal bank account anymore and honestly it has made me so happy i can't even begin to tell you some nice there behind the curtain nice behind the curtains there but it's- yeah I, I honestly resented every single purchase <laughs> until very recently. I was like, we might have made £13 on this, but I honestly couldn't care less. I'd have rather have made nothing and not had to deal with this. But the poster, the poster is good. I was a little bit concerned about it. I only put it into formats where the the shop guaranteed that it would wouldn't pixelate and it would retain its kind of HD version. So yeah, it's a nice one. And there's there's ones there for all budgets. You can get the basic print up to the canvas if you want. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his soundcloud E. Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. 